Well, why don't you turn with me to Acts 27, verse 10 to 37. That's Acts 27, verses 10 through to 37. A long portion of scripture here, so sit tight and enjoy and follow with me on your iPad, iPhone, whatever technical means you have, preferably your hard copy Bible. Title of my message today is Life on the Ocean Waves. Life on the Ocean Waves. Many said, I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, and danger to our lives as well. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owner than to Paul. And since Fairhavens was an exposed harbour, a poor place to spend the winter, most of the crew wanted to go on to Phoenix, farther up the coast of Crete, and spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbour, with only a southwest and northwest exposure. When a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could not make it. So they pulled up anchor and sailed to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly, and a wind of typhoon strength, called a northeaster, burst across the island and blew us out further to sea. The sailors could not turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island named Corda, where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. Then the sails bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. They were afraid of being driven across to the sandbars of Citrus off the African coast. They lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. The next day, as the gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars, until at last all hope was gone. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives. Even though the ship will go down, for last night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God, in his goodness, has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage. Believe in God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. About midnight on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the Sea of Adria, the sailors sensed land was near. They dropped a weighted line and found that the water was 120 feet deep. But a little later, they measured again and found it was only 90 feet deep. At this rate, they were afraid we would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer and to the soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. 
So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You have been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please, eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat. All 276 of us who were on board survived. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the inspiration and courage the great man of faith, the Apostle Paul is. In like manner, we pray and ask that we will leave the harbour of life, set sail on the open seas, and wholly trust ourselves to you. And in that, may we come fully alive and fulfil all the purposes you have for us, individually and collectively as a church. You see here the life of Paul. You catch an essence of his boldness and his faith and his courage. He was a one-minded man. He was on a mission for God, and he cared for nothing else. A man of faith, a man of boldness. Now, in the context here, Paul had been imprisoned for two years. For two years, he was there bound. But as a Roman citizen, he was given legal right to go to Caesar to make an appeal for the sentence against him. It was all a part of God's divine plan to strategically position Paul in places of influence where he could be used by him. It wasn't against great resistance. It wasn't against great tides of opposition. But when he wholly trusted in God and anchored himself to him, God would get him to where he needed to be provide all he needed, and bring God glory through him. The inspiration behind my sermon today is a powerful dream I had. I forget the exact date. I'd have to look in my diary, but it was approximately 18 months ago. It was just before the Energize conference. I remember it being about 4 o'clock in the morning, and I was awoken in my sleep. I was confused of why I couldn't sleep, because usually I sleep very peacefully, but something was stirring in my heart. I'd learned from experience, if I cannot sleep at night, it's just to lift up my heart to God and say, Lord, is there anything you need to say to me? In that moment, I felt a very strong impression come to my heart. And if I was to put pictorial context or try to illustrate what was impressed upon my heart in that moment, pictorially, it would look something like this. I saw a ship in a harbour. It was a beautiful ship. It was a nice ship. It was a strong ship. Nothing wrong with the ship. The ship, as every ship is in harbour, was tied down by ropes to keep it in place and to stop it drifting around. But in that moment, ropes started to break off that ship. They just began to snap. And the ship began to drift out into the open seas. I realized in that moment that I was that ship. Or you could see the ship, maybe, prophetically speaking, as the church. And as it drifted out to sea, it started to get buffeted and buffed and hit by great storms and waves. I felt physically sick in that moment. I panicked. There was no balance, there was no anchorage point. 
It was just being taken away by the waves. And I remember reaching out in my heart and saying, God, God, Jesus, please help me. And a voice would speak to me and say, I have not called you to a life in the harbour. Now pitch your sails. Let the wind of the Spirit fill them. Anchor yourself wholeheartedly to me and I will lead you into the fullness of me. It was so strong, it was so real that even when I hit the waves and was being tossed around, I felt physically sick. I was awake physically feeling sick. It was that real, this strong impression in my heart. Point is, I knew in that moment that we're not called to a life of harbour, of man-made dependence, but we're called to a life of faith and whole dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ and we're to wholly anchor ourselves to him and trust in him by faith. You see, life in the harbour for us is deceptive, really. It looks nice, it looks fun, it's comfortable, it's easy. But life in the harbour hinders us from living in the fullness of who we are and what we've called to be. In the harbour, we're merely a shadow of ourselves. We are self-dependent. There's no requirement for Christ in the harbour. There's no major raging storms. We have all the provision we need around the harbour cafes and around the harbour restaurants and with one another. Life's easy in the harbour. Life's comfortable. We put all our trust in human ropes of dependence. There's no requirement for the anchor of Christ in the harbour. In the harbour, things become trivial. Minors become major issues. There's bickering, there's squabbering. Because we're lost, we're confused. There's no real depth of sense of purpose to life. Life is small. Life is contained. Life is just within the walls of the harbour. There's never any storms. The calm, the flat seas are calm. There's less chance to really trust in the things of God. There's little sense of wonder of his majesty because we're not out sailing on the high seas of life. We limit ourselves in the harbour. It has a form of being at sea, but it's not the sea and the life on the ocean waves that we're really called to sail in. It's all external, life at the harbour. The true parts of the ship that really make it a ship haven't got an opportunity to fully function and come alive that making a strong seafaring vessel for God's purpose. You and I are ships for God's purpose. The church is a ship called on the high seas for God's purpose and to bring him glory. You see, life in the harbour brings disheartment. It brings confusion. It brings loss. It's dull. It's boring. I don't know if you remember about 10 years ago, there was a, a movie called The Truman Show. This movie, The Truman Show, is really quite insightful, really. It was a man called Truman Burbank. And in this movie, 
set up by Hollywood. They had made up a fictitious island in Hollywood. It was a movie scene set. And Truman was hit star. It was cruel, really, because he didn't realize that he was in a movie set. He thought this was his life. As a young child, he was brought up in the Truman Show in this false world. And there was TV uh, cameras everywhere. And this was broadcast around the world, outside of the Truman Show, like Big Brother. Broadcast every scene of his life since birth. And now a man of about 30, I would suggest, maybe in the film, married, got children. But it wasn't the life, the real life. It was a fake life. And the Truman began to look around at this movie scene unbeknown to him. They were cruel in a way because they imparted into him aquaphobia, a fear of sea. So he could never leave this scene of the movie because it was an island and surrounded by seas. They always, through propaganda, enforced this fear in his life. So he would never try to escape the island and to discover really what lay outside of this studio where his life was being filmed. But as he walked around, going about his everyday life, he started to notice that things weren't quite right. There was misalignments. There was things in his heart that weren't really aligning to what he was observing around him. People from outside managed to break in to the studio, to this fictitious island, and begin to tell him that it's all a lie. People began to say, listen, the life you're living, this is false. And they'll try through propaganda to manipulate his mind again to make him think, no, it's not. But slowly but surely, he rose up. He jumped on a boat. And he went out in those, in, into the sea and he began to sail. They tried to stop him. They tried to make storms kick up on this TV set. They tried to capsize him. They tried to knock him off course. They tried everything they can for him not to see the truth of the life that he was living. But eventually, as seen here, he hit the end of the movie set. And eventually, he found the steps that allowed him to enter out and discover the real world. The devil and the world system, you see, wants to keep us in the harbour. It wants to hold us back. It's always filling us with fear to never, ever fully trust in Christ, to ever, ever fully trust in what your heart really calls you to be and calls you to do. It never really allows you to fully believe that there's something beyond just what I see and observe according to the natural. Truman finally set sail and he found the truth and he broke free from the harbour of oppression and resistance for his life. But the harbour is not always solely bad. The harbour is good for rest. It's good for a moment to take a breather. The harbour's good for rest and not retirement. It's good to refuel 
and not for, to get rusty. You see a boxer, when he's fighting, the bell rings and he takes a break. That's fine, as long as he keeps his eyes on the prize that he's there fighting in that ring to become the heavyweight boxing champion of the world. You see in Formula One races, they take a pit stop to have a rest, yes, but they never take the eyes of their ultimate objective, and that's to become the World Grand Prix champion. You see a football match, yes, they have half time, but it doesn't all become about the half time. They remember that they've got to get back out on the pitch and continue the match and lift that World Cup winning trophy. At work, you have coffee breaks. Yes, that's great, but it's not all about the coffee break. The coffee break is there for you to have a rest so you can get back in the arena and do your job and be the sold and light what Christ has called you to be and do what your employment employee tells you to be and what he calls you to do. Sometimes we get into the harbour and we can get distracted. I was watching the other day, I had to put the subtitles on because I had my daughter and I was trying to rock her off to, to sleep. But as I was watching this documentary, I saw this animal. It was a strange animal. I, if there's any zoologists or anybody who's done a degree in animals or something along those lines, maybe you can share with me later the animal I'm trying to describe. Because I didn't have any sound, I couldn't find its name. But it very much looked like a, a, a cross between an elephant and an anteater. Bizarre creature. Um, in fact, it, it doesn't look too dissimilar to, to Scott here. <laughs> yeah. If you draw any parallels and... <laughs> it was a bizarre creature, and they built it a grand new pond to save it and give it rest from the scorching heat. And it went into this, uh, the pond and it began to swim around, but it got distracted, it got disorientated. And it was panicking and the zookeepers were actually worried that it was about to drown as it panicked. But its mother was at the entrance and did whatever the mother does, gives it a call or whatever this animal does, and it eventually found its way back out to the exit. You see, sometimes we can take time in the harbour innocently but sometimes we can stay there a little bit too long and we don't end up rising up and setting sail out into the high seas as we've called to be and what we've called to do. Listen, we're called to a life on the ocean waves with no barriers of any harbour walls to restrict us, with no human ropes of restraint. We're called to a life purely with faith in Christ and standing on his word wholeheartedly. You see, when I drifted out to sea in this dream, it was only then that I realized that life really begins. It's only then that the eyes of our understanding come alive and come open. And it's only then do we truly have to depend on the person of Jesus Christ and wholeheartedly stand on his word. Life at sea takes some adjustment, yes it does. It takes a while to find our sea legs. But in that transition, it's not a time to fear or to turn the ship around and go back to the safe havens of the harbour. No, it's a time to fully anchor yourselves deeper into the things of Christ and to wholly trust in him that ever bit more. 
Yes, he uses the waves and the storms as an opportunity to train us, to shape us, to mold us. Not to break us, but to make us. Not to hinder us, but to bring us fully alive in the people we are called to be and called to do. You see, a life in the Truman Show, a life in the harbor, can you imagine the frustration of that Truman when he discovered he had been living his whole life as a lie? Sometimes stuck in that harbor, when deep down you know there's more to life than this. When you look around and say, something's not quite lining up here. There's something living in me, there's something alive in me that speaks of grandness, that speaks of something of purpose, that speaks of something of eternal significance. But what I'm seeing around me does not align. You see, you're in the harbour. You're not out in the high seas. And we're called to a life out on the high seas. Do you know mental health patients, sometimes, not always, and I know there's very different measures and reasons for some mental health issues, but one strand of an area of mental health that is an issue poor people is they've lost hope and they've lost purpose for their life. The first thing or one of the first things a psychologist will ask when someone is suffering from depression or mental health is do you, they try to discover if they have hope in them, if there's a sense of purpose for their life. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans of good, plans to give you a hope and a purpose. You see, if we're stuck in the harbour, we lose all that hope and we lose that sense of eternal purpose that is embedded in us as believers, that is also embedded in individuals who are yet to come to Christ because they're created in the image of God. This place suffocates us. This place becomes our norm. The abnormal, if we allow it to, starts to become normal. I remember times in my life and I thank God for these moments. I thank God for these storms. I didn't at the time believe you, me. But there's been times when I was a soldier that I've had to run into enemy fire. And at the time, that was not fun. At the time, I prayed to God that I could be anywhere. But in that moment, in that time, looking at the enemy as it desires to kill me, but something rose up with me one day when I had to run back into enemy fire in a heavy ambush on the enemy's choosing. And I was tired. What else could I do? No chance. I was in the crosshairs of the enemy. No problem. There's nothing I could do. And in effect, I gave up. I gave up on myself. But I tell you what, I laid a hold of Christ like never before. And I said, Lord Jesus Christ, for me, from my perspective, this is not looking good. I took a deep breath and thought, that's probably my last. But the Lord Jesus said, you anchor yourself to me. And in that moment when I anchored myself to him, it was only then that I felt alive, believe you me. I've never felt so alive. And I put my whole trust in him. I had no other choice. And I remember saying, I would rather run and die now 
than live the rest of my life a coward, knowing I didn't do what my country's called me to do and what I'm paid to do and for the safety of my friends and colleagues. Because I may die right now, but if I survive right now in the knowledge I didn't do what I've called to do and run into that fire, then I would live a slow, painful death knowing when I laid my head at bed at night that I've been a coward, that I didn't do in the moment that my government called upon me and my fellow colleagues trusted in me to do, that I didn't run into that open fire. I would rather run and die than live the rest of my life with a slow death knowing that I've been a coward. God is rising us up to be men of courage and women of courage. Listen, because death will get you one way or another. It will get you one way or another. You'll either die in that harbour or you'll die out in the high seas. But I'd rather die out in the high seas holding on to the Lord Jesus Christ with all my might and living the eternal rewards that he has for us. It inspires me that I read in the book of Revelation and encourages me, but also challenges me, where it says that there's a group of people that will not receive the, 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 the inheritance of the kingdom, and those are people who are cowards. doesn't mean that they're not saved. It means that they won't receive the fullness of their inheritance because they've not been people who've wholly stood out and trusted in God, in Christ, with what he's uniquely called them to be and what he's called them to do. He allows the waves to buffet us, to shape us, because he loves us and wants to refine us and wants us to be close to him. Because when we're close to him, ah, oh, believe you me, you'll forget all about the pleasures of the harbour. You'll just be fully alive to sail the oceans for our Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing like it. And every day I challenge myself Every day I'm fearful that am I getting comfortable in the harbour because that's where I don't want to be. That's where you don't want to be. That's where you are not going to be. That's why you're here today. Because we're hungry for a life on the ocean waves. Amen? Amen. The great Shackleton in 1914 was a great Irish hardened explorer. And he took the ship, the Endurance, and he was gathered a group of men to go and set sail on the high seas to explore Antarctica via the South Pole. It's rumoured that he put this advertisement in the paper. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honour and recognition in event of success. Ernest Shackleton. That's sometimes the call that we've been called for. But one thing in that is we know there's a great reward in heaven and knowing that Christ will be with us. Things happen out in the light ocean waves of life, you see. Things that will never happen in the harbour. The great John Wesley, I'm tremendously inspired about. When I read about him, he was out at sea. He was actually on a mission with God and he was off to America to evangelize the Indians. And there was a group of men and women and families on this ship called the Maruvians. Hey, these were passionate men and women of God and they had faith in Christ. 
And Wesley shares a story whereby a massive wave came in and cut the sail in half and flooded the ship. All the English on board, it said, were screaming and shouting. Wesley was fearful himself. Who wouldn't be? But he looked at the Moravians and he saw there was no fear in them. In fact, they just continued to sing and praise Jesus. When the storm had subsided and everything was okay, but in that moment it didn't look like it was going to be, he went and speak to these Moravians and said, hey, were you not scared of dying? No. What about your wife? What about your children? No. They just had full faith in Jesus Christ that he was in full control. Do you know what Wesley, the great Wesley said in that moment? He realized that he didn't actually have faith. Wesley realized he did not have faith. He said, I had faith in God, but I didn't have faith in the person of Jesus Christ. I didn't have faith in Christ and faith through Christ. He had saving faith, but he didn't have living faith. He believed in Christ, but was he missing a part of that personal relationship with Christ? He realized that he ever needed more faith in Christ Jesus and trust in him. Those Moravians changed Wesley's life. And we know the story of what the great John Wesley did for this nation and for the world, with how on fire he came and declared the gospel as a great revivalist. But he said there's two things that he was communicated to by a friend when he went back to Oxford. What happens? when we put, truly put our faith in Christ. Number one, a great revelation of dominion over sin and a complete peace of the revelation of the forgiveness of Christ for our lives. Think of that. A complete revelation that I have dominion over sin, that sin will no longer have a hold on me. Because sin is one thing that holds us in the harbour and relinquishes or, 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 or keeps us fearful to ever step out with Christ. But not only that, complete peace in the knowledge of the forgiveness of Christ. Knowing when you lay your head on that pillow every night that you're forgiven for all what Christ Jesus has done for you. You cannot buy that. It's a free gift, not a cheap gift. But that deep, deep, deep peace beyond understanding that comes to life in knowing I have power over sin. It has no hold on me. And I have complete peace because of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We have a revelation for what he is. We have an appreciation for who he is. And we desire nothing more to live our life and give thanks for him. He died for us that we may live. He died for us, that we may be free and sail the oceans for him. John Newton, another great man. On first glance, you may not know that name. Many of you will. You will after I share this story to you. But he, again, was at sea. He was traveling to England, and he was off the coast of Ireland. And in like manner, the same as Wesley, a great storm hit and the, the, the water started to burst through a hole of the ship. He reached out to God in prayer for mercy. 
And just in that moment, the cargo of the ship moved and blocked the hole where the water was pouring in. It was in that moment John Newton gave his life to Christ. That man, John Newton, came alive and God had a purpose for him. He was the great influence of William Wilberforce who brought the obliteration of the uh, slave trade, a major catalyst in it and a great influence to Wilberforce. Not only that, he was the author and writer of the hymn Amazing Grace, which is probably one of the most famous sung hymns ever. God had a purpose for him and he came alive. The waves and life at sea served a purpose to bring him to where Christ needed him to be. It's not easy out in the open waves. It's not all plain sailing, but it's the abundant life. You know, I find it interesting that Jesus says, I send you out like sheep amongst wolves to the measure of the persecution you've seen done against me, you in like manner will face. But then he says, I've come that they may have life and life in abundance. How can that be? How can a life of abundance be sent out like sheep amongst wolves? How can a life of abundance be a life where we're being buffeted by the wind and waves of life? I think, and this is just my insight, we only think from a natural perspective of what abundance life means, influenced by worldly perspectives. The true abundance life is a life just like Wesley, who's holding on to the Lord Jesus, who has faith in him and him alone, and depends on him and him alone. The type of faith that the great apostle Paul has. Because in that, we engage with the vine, us being the branches, and life comes. Life comes. On the external, it's uncomfortable. On the external, life at sea is, can be cold. It can be treacherous. It can be dangerous. But at the heart of it, we know we're living. We know deep down, I'm alive. I'm where Christ needs me to be. It's the life of the ocean waves that we've been called to. There's a release of his presence. There's a release of faith. There's a release of hope. There's a release of purpose. Incredible. Money can't buy that. Only true faith and dependence in the Lord Jesus is the abundance life, knowing I'm living the life God's called me to be and I'm wholly trusting in, in him. Kensington Temple, we are setting sail. We are setting sail in ever-increasing measures. And when we set sail, I told you in the harbour, parts of our ship are completely dormant. Let me tell you and share with you what comes alive when we leave that harbour and step out in faith in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, I'll tell you what comes alive in you. You have a new horizon. Before the harbour walls were pretty much your limit, or maybe the view you had from standing on the harbour wall and seeing just to the distance of that immediate horizon. You live in a goldfish bowl there, but when you set sail on the seas, it's horizon after horizon after horizon with the things of Christ. The Apostle Paul had his horizon. He had his purpose. It was big, it was large, it was broad. 
The Bible says in Proverbs 29 that we perish for lack of vision. Yes, and we do. Our lives become small. Our lives become contained. But when we put our whole trust in Christ, wow, he will show us the vision that he has for our lives. And it's broad. It's big. It reveals his glory. And we want to sail on that course to see and on that waypoint he's directed for our lives. A new horizon comes, a new purpose, a new focus, a new vision, one that is burning in your heart to set sail on, and it becomes a reality. Let me tell you what else comes alive when you set sail with Christ Jesus, the anchor of him, the anchor of God. Not man-made ropes of dependence in the harbour that you put your trust on. Remember my dream where those ropes just become, became snapped and began to break? He doesn't want, he's a jealous God. He doesn't want you to put your trust in anything else other than him. Not because he's jealous in an unhealthy way, but because he's jealous for you. He wants you to live the abundant life. He knows the plans he has for you. They are good, and he wants you to have them. It hurts him as a father when he sees his children not living in the fullness of what they've called to be and what they've called to do, and when they don't see the greater perspective of the horizon of heaven. He wants to break those ropes, and he wants you to have the anchor to him. He wants you fairly anchored in him. Jesus in the boat with you, right there with you, anchored to him. You see, Wesley had faith in God, he said, and he realized that he had measures of faith that were lacking. What about the disciples? They had a close relationship with Christ. They walked with him, talked with him every day. And they were out at sea, weren't they, crossing the river when a great storm came. And they were absolutely petrified. But what did they have with them? They had Jesus right there in the boat with them. And they turned to him fearful, still not yet fully learning faith, yes, but they turned to Jesus in the boat with them. He was frustrated and said, oh, you of little faith. But he rose up and he calmed the seas. Be still. You see, when we anchor ourselves to Christ, we have no hope against the waves of life. No hope according to the flesh. But I tell you what, when you're anchored to Christ, you have complete hope because he's the one in charge of the waves of life. I don't know if you've ever been at sea. I've been at sea quite a lot. And I've been caught up in some storms, believe you me. They're not fun. But I tell you what, you hold on to Christ Jesus and you come alive in ever greater measures. There's no room out there at sea to trust in the things of man. What did the, what did the people do with, with the Apostle Paul in the scripture that I read there in Acts 27? They were throwing out every anchor, man's anchor that they could. They were roping, wrapping ropes around the hull of their ship to try and keep, keep, keep it intact. They were trusting on every man's wisdom. It was no good. The wave just buffeted them and dragged the man-made anchors and snapped the ropes. But what did Paul do? He stood up and said, hey, my God is in charge of this situation, and he tells me not one soul is going to be left on this ship, and this is exactly what's going to happen. And it did happen. 
Paul became the captain of that ship eventually. He's the one that they listened to because he's the one who had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and was wholly anchored to him. We come alive in Christ, people. That's who we put our trust in. I remember myself just about to go out in the open seas. I was out in the Middle East with a mission. And at the time, there was about an eight-man team, if I remember off the top of my head. We were in the harbour at the time. The harbour was okay. The harbour faced some storms, but it was quite comfortable. The harbour I was in, the base I was in, was still in enemy territory. We still received mortar fire occasionally. We still received rocket attacks. We still had enemy trying to get into the camp to get at us. We still had suicide bombers trying to run in the camp and blow us up. But generally, we had a cafe there, and we had some food that our chefs made, and generally, we were happy soldiers. But our officer came to us and called us to the briefing room for a mission that we were about to embark on. I remember fondly that this officer at the time was a Navy SEALs, American Special Forces. I became good friends with him. I remember printing out before I went on the mission with them scriptures and I typed them out on a piece of paper and I waterproofed them and I gave them to each and every one of the team members. Psalms like Psalm 91, Psalm 144, John 3:16, Romans 10:9, in case they needed it. I remember every Englishman on my team gave a wry sort of smile and said, yeah, thanks, Chris. Probably threw it in the bin. But I remember this Navy SEALs officer came up to me and gave me a big hug. Said, thank you so much, Chris. And he kept it with his pocket everywhere he went. We became good friends, and I managed to share a lot of the gospel to him. But he came with not so good news on this mission. One thing a soldier always likes to need to know is that if he gets in trouble, someone's going to be there to help you. That's what we need to know. If, if the rubber hits the road, is the cavalry going to come in and get me out if need be? And he said, listen, guys, um, we're off on a mission. Um, I haven't got solely good news for you, I'm afraid. If we get in any trouble, there's no one coming for us. We're going so deep into enemy territory that our helicopters won't reach to where we are going. We've got no casualty evacuation plan for you. Guys, we're on our own. They tried to build the bridge very slightly to give us a little bit of encouragement. And they said, I've asked the engineers uh, to uh, attach a refrigerator uh, to your long-range vehicles of where you're going. And uh, I've got some blood uh, for you. And we've got a surgeon to come with us. Thanks very much. <laughs> Five kilometers with leaving the camp, the refrigerator broke and all the blood congealed. We would have nothing. But in that moment, something rose up in my heart and said, where the blood of man cannot reach, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ can. <laughs> We're not going out here as a believer with my own trust. We got whole trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I tell you what, I remember on that mission, four weeks we were out, out to 
on a fighting patrol to hinder the and harass and destroy the enemy where we could. Men in the middle of the night would walk across the desert to me and say, Chris, I'm fearful tonight. Would you pray for me? Other men would come and ask me to pray with them. Another man before his mission said, Chris, would you pray for me? And something leapt up in my spirit and I said, you listen to me. The Lord Jesus Christ is your rock and he is your refuge. Amen. That morning, we found ourselves both tucked up behind a rock as the enemy unleashed a barrage of fire against us. And I turned to him and said, I told you the Lord Jesus is your rock and your refuge. <laughs> he was at my wedding and he wrote in my, re uh, in, in, in my wedding book, the Lord is my rock and my refuge. <laughs> we have an anchor that is sure and steadfast that enters in behind the veil. It's our hope. That's our true dependence. Listen, when you set out at sea, your sail comes alive. In the harbour, you've got no need for a sail, but this ship, your ship, our church, has a sail. And by faith and expectation, we're hoisting it, and the wind of the Holy Spirit is going to fill it. We're hoisting our sail of expectation and faith for the forthcoming prophetic conference where we just trust and believe that the Holy Spirit is going to fill it and lead us into greater measures of direction and destiny for all Christ has for us, for our life. On that ship, do you know what's important? It has a galley. And that's the word for a kitchen. On a ship, we've got a kitchen. Because Christ is going to provide for you. You see, where Apostle Paul was, they had bread. And they ate of that bread. And they gathered around that bread. The bread of heaven is our trust. And he provides that in the galley of this ship that we are sailing on. On that ship, you've got a crew. You've got a crew of comradeship. Paul on his ship, he had the Holy Spirit. And he has angels came and speak to him. That was his crew. Do you know what? I'm grateful. We've got a bigger crew. We've got a closer crew. We've got the church. We've got our cell groups. And that's why we have a cell group in this church is because they are our partners. They are our crew. That's our comradeship. And when you're going through life trials, it's there that you've got one another. Yes, you've got Christ. Yes, you're anchored to him. But where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of you. We've got the greatest crew that ever existed. And we're sailing on the seas with one another toward our destiny. Be a part of the ship. Be a part of the voyage that we're all going on as a church. We've got the crew of comradeship. You see 276 of those men, not one of them lost their lives. The Apostle Paul held them tight and he held them close. When we are with one another, we hold each other close and we hold each other tight. You don't want to be going solo out in those ocean waves. You want one another for accountability, prayer, and support. If you're not a part of a cell group, get yourself a part of a cell group. If you've not fully laid roots in a church where you are a part or under some spiritual authority and under spiritual protection, get yourself anchored to a church and flourish where you are planted.
was watching another documentary the other day. Britain has just made the largest ship that has ever been made. It's the HMS Elizabeth. It's a huge aircraft carrier. It's the pride of the British Navy. And the captain was being interviewed. And as he was being interviewed, a beautiful cruise liner called Elizabeth as well sailed behind him. And the interviewer said, which ship would you rather be on? This one or the cruise liner? And he said, very well, I thought. Well, if I wanted a G&T, I would like to be on that ship. But when I'm at sea, I want to be on this ship with my men and with my women. And that's the ship we want to be on. It's the ship that is sailing on the seas, the ship that is destined for the things of Christ, and not the ship in the harbour drinking G&T and having cucumber sandwiches. Because <laughs> that life is nice for a season, but believe you me, it's dull, it's boring, it has no eternal significance, and it's not all good fun. Jesus wants us to set sail. Why? Because he wants us to come alive. Because he's got such great and precious promises for us. We want to set sail, don't we? The Pharisees were a group of people who were always in the harbour, polishing their bells and whistles, scrubbing their decks, looking nice and pristine. But Jesus was frustrated with them because he had so much more. He had to go and gather another group of men. He gathered his disciples. And he said, these men I can do something with. I'm going to train them what it is to pitch their sail. I'm going to teach them what it is to anchor themselves wholly to me. I'm going to show them that I'm their galley of provision. I'm going to show them what it is to have a crew of believers to go and live life for. These are the men I want to rise up. Not men worried with the externals, whitewashed tombstones, but men of real faith. Men of real faith. Men of real courage. Men and women of real faith. Men and women of real courage. Those men became raw. Those men came alive and they turned the world upside down. Just 12 of them started the, the foundations, the apostolic foundations of the church, turned the world upside down. That's what God does when we anchor himself wholly to us. He turns our lives upside down and he brings the increase that no man can ever increase. I want you to stand to your feet here this afternoon, Kenson Temple. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. And before Christ right now, I just want you to open up your hearts to him. Some of you here today, you feel like you may have got a little bit comfortable with your surroundings. You're discovering that your faith is waning you and you have little room or need for faith in your life. Life is comfortable. Life is easy. You're being distracted by things. 
and you know it deep down. You know your call to life at the open seas. Fear is holding you back, though. Fear is holding you back. You may have been out on the ocean waves once in your life. You went into the harbor for a little bit of rest, and you're fearful to step back out again because those waves aren't fun. But something inside you says, but I want to taste that sweet, sweet taste of the presence of the Holy Spirit. I know deep down that's what I need and that's what I want. I'm comfortable, but do you know what? I'm not alive. I wake up unfulfilled. I lay my head on my pillow at night and I say there must be more to life than this. You know there is. Some of you may be here today, you're stood on the harbour wall. You're torn between the harbour because there's some ropes that you've put a lot of dependence on in that harbour. That harbour's got your favourite cafe. That harbour's got your favourite restaurant. That harbour's got your favourite buddy that you like to see. But you stand on that harbour wall and you look out and you say, ah, oh, what it is to be out in the open seas. You see, the harbour isn't all bad. The, har the, the open seas isn't all about trials and big waves. I tell you what, out at sea, the Lord Jesus Christ reveals so much of him. When it's a beautiful, flat, calm day and the sail is pitched and it's just cutting through the ocean. When you look up at night with no light pollution and you just see more stars than you can ever imagine. When you see the moon as big as you couldn't imagine how big it was. When you see the sunset at night, when you see the sunrise in the morning, when you see all the life of the sea, the whales jumping out by the side of you, the dolphins swimming by your ship, your heart is alive and awakened to the infinite majesty of the living God because all of creation reveals his glory. He wants to reveal more to you out in the open seas. It's not all about trials and storms, but equally in equal measure, it's all about beautiful sunsets. It's all about the galaxy and the stars and the wonders of heaven. He wants you to experience that. He wants you to see that. He wants you to have a greater measure of his power and his glory. He's wanting you to get off the harbour wall and go and experience and see that again or for some the first time. Some of you here today, I tell you what, you need to get yourself in the harbour for a little bit. You've been pushing too hard and for too long. You're growing weary. The sea has buffeted you a little bit. You're a bit malnutritioned. He's saying, come in, my son. Come in, my daughter. Just take a little bit of a rest from these waves and I'll give you sweet rest, but not for long because i got so much more for you to come. Heavenly Father, I pray for each and every person here today. 
whatever season of life they are in. I want you to just envision them afresh and speak that unique word to them. Lord, I want to ask right now, if there's people here today who all their life have known there's something more, but until now, have just got a new understanding or revelation that maybe that thing that I've been missing in my life is a life on the ocean waves. Maybe that thing I'm missing in my life is really trusting in the Creator in the heavens and earth and that person of the Lord Jesus. I want that. I want to come alive. I want to put my trust in the person of Christ Jesus. If that's you, and you've not made peace with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you to come down the front here and speak to me when we close today. But wherever you are, whatever season you're in, and whatever your conviction of the Holy Spirit be, I pray that those ropes of human dependency will snap. You'll sail out of that harbour in faith and courage and boldness. You'll anchor yourself wholeheartedly to Christ. You'll trust that he's your provider and you'll fix your eyes on the horizon he has for you and you'll bring glory to his name. We're going to go out worshipping the Lord now and then we're going to come and we're going to baptise these people today who are stepping out the harbour walls on their journey. And we pray they'll come alive in that. Let's give the Lord Jesus some praise right now.